This podcast includes adult language and themes. It also contains descriptions about sexual violence. Please be advised. Previously on She Says. I don't know what they've done or haven't done or slipped up on. It just doesn't feel like they believed her for the past three years that she's been saying that it's this Well, that's your opinion. I wouldn't necessarily share it. Well, they tell her point blank, though, it's not him several times in that conversation. But that's not an issue of belief. That's an issue of what the evidence is showing. We have DNA. It's somebody's. We're just waiting to find out who it is. You might feel like you have a bit of whiplash after that last episode, that abrupt backward or forward motion you experience when you're driving down the road, minding your own business, when a car comes out of nowhere and slams you. Your body involuntarily jerks in an uncomfortable way. And if you've ever been in a crash before, you know there's a certain level of surprise. A minute ago, you were going down the road listening to the radio, maybe singing your favorite song. Now, you're trying to make sense as to why your car is spinning out and headed in a direction that just doesn't make any sense. I know that's how Linda feels, and it's because of those three words we ended on last time, and I hope they're still echoing in your head. It is him. If they're not, quick reminder why they should be. There's a mysterious DNA hit on Linda's sexual assault kit, meaning someone's DNA in CODIS matches the DNA profile found in Linda's kit. But the lab can't reveal the name of the person. There's a problem. To Linda, it's obvious who this person is. It's July 2017, and she's been telling the detective who she believes it is for nearly two years. And I said, I know it's him. I mean, there's just no question there, period, in the story. But it's not even close to the end of Linda's story. It's just the beginning of a new chapter. Not even a month after telling Linda there's no way it could be the man she identified, the detective changes course and starts to pursue him with no explanation. Linda wants answers. She needs answers. So she asks for a follow-up conversation in November 2017 to better understand why the sudden change in direction. But she says she's just more confused after speaking with the officer working her case. She's still recording her conversations with the detectives. Her phone is in her purse, so it's not always the best audio quality. Here's Detective Christina Kogel. I can't assume that it's him. I'm I'm putting two and three and four together, and I'm like, well, it has to be him, because I knew his DNA was already in the system. I can't assume it's him, Detective Kogel says. I'm putting two and three and four together, and it has to be him. And the him Kogel is referencing is the man Linda identified in her internet search in 2015. The system Kogel mentions is CODIS, which we'll look at more closely this episode. All of what Kogel just said is in direct contrast to what she told Linda about five months earlier in June 2017. It turns out CMPD didn't know when they told Linda during that emotional in-person meeting, in no uncertain terms it wasn't the person she identified, that the department already had a really important piece of information from the state lab, but Kogel wasn't aware of it. This episode, we're going to look at the information we've been able to confirm that was at CMPD's fingertips. They've had Linda's internet search, and at some point, police get confirmation that there's been a DNA hit from her sexual assault kit. Our first stop is a closer look at that internet search with an extra set of eyes. From WFAE in Charlotte, I'm Sarah D'Elia. This is She Says. 
Linda's internet search in which she identified the man she believes to be her attacker has been a point of contention with CMPD from the start. Remember, in October 2015, almost four months after her assault, she shared her search history with the detective, which lays out how she identified him. And she later shared that with us. And Linda doesn't believe the police are taking this internet search seriously. A few words Detective Cynthia Banner said during the last in-person update Linda got at CMPD haunt her. It's when she described Linda's internet search as, quote, very TV. So in November 2017, she asked for an in-person update with Detective Kogel. Linda wants some reassurance that Kogel sees the value in the internet search. Kogel responds. Well, I mean, that's the kind of stuff you're going to have to answer to. Because yeah, I, I did the search and I couldn't find him. Oh, did you see the, did you see the timestamps on yeah. it? How long I did yeah. it and how long I, I, I tried this or tried that or tried this, 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 and this. And then, blam, I click on the images. There's no text on there to identify him. I see his face. That's him. Kogel says she did the search and couldn't find him. So my colleague Alex Olgan had an idea. Why don't we give the internet search a try? And we have Linda's internet search, so we'll follow her lead. Okay, so Alex and I are currently sitting in a conference room at WFAE. Linda sent us over the screenshots of her search history that she had sent to CMPD in 2015. So we have all these pages spread out on the table and uh, we're gonna follow exactly what she did step by step. Okay, so at 6.56 p.m., Linda starts to search uh, sexual assault survivor, PTSD and relationships, survivors of sexual abuse, PTSD, sexual assault, and how sexual assault affects your relationship and sex life, love after rape, those kind of things. We continue following Linda's lead and try typing in the exact same search terms that she did. At 11.27 p.m., the evening of September 26, 2015, she starts plugging in the search terms Charlotte NC Rape, and then the name that was on the shirt of the man who assaulted her. She presumes it's his last name. Right now, granted, this is like almost three years later, but I don't see a lot. Then, just like she did, we type in the last name. Not much. Then we try several combinations of the name of the company that Linda remembers being on the shirt of the man who assaulted her and the last name that she says was also on the shirt. And she's on this path for about an hour before switching gears. Then she tries the name sexual assault. We did that too, didn't find anything. Then a few minutes later. So at 12.45 a.m., she searches the last name, Charlotte, arrest, and she switched over to the images tab and looking at that, I can see a bunch of thumbnail images, so they're really small. I can see a bunch of mug shots. And I very immediately see the image of the man that Linda will later identify to police as her assailant. In fact, one of the first images that appears during our search is another mugshot of him. We just followed what Linda did. And so when Detective Kogel says that she tried to do the search and she couldn't find him, I'm not sure what that means, because we followed what Linda sent to the police, and following that path, we can very easily find the image of the man Linda identified. Then, just like she did, we clicked on that image, and the same name appears. Linda feels that the detectives have an issue with her search. Yet, Kogel seems to rely on it once there's a mystery hit in July 2017 on the DNA profile from her sexual assault kit. 
Alex has reported a lot for She Says, and especially for this episode. So she's going to stick around. We wanted to talk to Detective Kogel about Linda's Google search, but CMPD wouldn't allow her to talk to us for this series. Instead, we talked to Kogel's superior and the head of the sexual assault unit at the time, Lieutenant Melanie Peacock. She's since been promoted to captain and reassigned to another division. So we asked her, just how important was Linda's internet search? Her providing that information was was critical, but unfortunately it does not give us probable cause to charge him just based on that. Because this was not a situation where she had known this person for a length of time. You know, it's different if if it's a spouse or a boyfriend and somebody you have known and established relationship with for you to say, this is the guy. Mm-hmm. That, that may be enough. But in a situation like this where the suspect was really not known to her, we have to have some other kind of evidence to corroborate that statement. She says Kogel needs DNA to do that. And that takes us to CODIS. Alex is going to help me break down this complicated system. First, you have to know what CODIS stands for. It's the Combined DNA Index System. It's a system of databases that all states have access to. DNA profiles of some arrestees and all convicted felons are put into this nationwide system. When DNA is taken from a crime scene, it's uploaded to see if it matches up with anyone already in there. If so, law enforcement officials get an identified suspect. Okay, Alex, so here's where things get a little complicated. In North Carolina, the people that use and work with CODIS are at the state lab. That's in Raleigh. Now, we've told you CMPD has its own lab. As we explained in a previous episode, CMPD's lab does its own analysis of DNA evidence found in sexual assault kits. The CMPD lab inputs found DNA profiles into a computer system that syncs with CODIS. But it's the state lab in Raleigh that gets notified if there is a hit. Then it lets the CMPD lab know. Point being, the state lab and the CMPD lab are two different entities, but they work very closely together. To recap, here's how it works in Charlotte. A sane nurse does the sexual assault exam. A police officer picks up the kit. The CMPD lab analyzes the sexual assault kit. If a DNA profile is found, it's put into a computer system, which is part of the CODIS databases. The DNA profile in Linda's kit was uploaded to CODIS the first week in March 2017. That's what Captain Peacock told us. It's about a year and eight months after Linda's assault. Peacock says the delay is because it took so long for her kit to be processed. And unfortunately, that's not something that happens overnight. It took several months before the kit was ever worked because of backlog. Mm -hmm. So by the time it gets worked, Mm -hmm. they screen it. They determine there's male DNA. From that point, they send it to DNA analysis to try to get a match. It goes into CODIS. The backlog, as defined by CMPD, is the kits waiting in line to be tested. The department says that number hovers around 200. How long it takes to fully analyze a sexual assault kit depends largely on how busy the scientists in the lab are, says Ray Wickenheiser. He's the president of the National Association of State Crime Lab Directors. His day job is running the New York State Crime Laboratory System in Albany. When you consider if you have too many cases to do, well, why do they take 100 days? Well, if, if I started it today, it would only take two weeks, but uh, much of the time it takes for a case to get done is while it's sitting, waiting its turn to get done. So um, if you started today, it should take two weeks, but the problem is getting to that case when you don't have enough capacity. By capacity, he means enough people, time, and resources. Once a lab finally gets to that kit, they work through the collected evidence to try and find a DNA profile. If that profile is found, it's then uploaded to CODIS. 
There are about 300,000 profiles in the system in North Carolina. North Carolina State Lab CODIS Administrator, the one who manages DNA profiles in CODIS and tells local law enforcement when there are hits, is Courtney Cowan. She says who is in the state database has changed over the years. First, it was people convicted of your more violent crimes like murder. Then, in 2003, the law changed to include all convicted felons. And then in 2011, we added an arrestee provision into the law where certain arrests, definitely not all arrests, but certain arrests are included in that as well. That expanded the people put into CODIS to now include those arrested for things like murder, rape, and other sex offenses, kidnapping, armed robbery, cyberstalking, and even dismembering human remains. If you're not convicted, your profile should be expunged. A few misdemeanors are also included, like stalking. Cowan says it's best to think of a DNA profile as a series of numbers. And it's actual numbers that are imported into the DNA database. And the numbers are compared against uh, different profiles. Wait, it's numbers that are entered into CODIS, not someone's name? Right. So let's take, for example, an imaginary man named John Smith. He's a convicted felon, so he's already in CODIS. Let's say he commits a sexual assault and the woman he assaulted gets an exam done. In this case, the lab finds a male DNA profile and uploads it to CODIS. The way the profile is uploaded is a series of numbers. That series of numbers is compared to all the other DNA profiles in CODIS. If there's a hit, a series of numbers is what the state lab gets back, not John Smith's name. His DNA sequence is run through a separate computer system that generates his name, which is then given to the local law enforcement agency. So CODIS is a really effective tool if the DNA profile of the person who committed the crime is already in there. And the DNA hit is just the starting point for police, because unlike television crime dramas, the officer doesn't just go out and arrest that person immediately. In reality, an officer has to go get another DNA sample from the person who the lab says the DNA belongs to. It's a double check. That sample is then checked against the one taken from the crime scene or the sexual assault kit to make sure it's the same person. Finally, the arrest can happen. On the state lab's end, they verify to make sure everything was entered into CODIS correctly. They also check to see if the person could have actually committed the crime and, say, wasn't incarcerated. But in Linda's case, the process didn't quite happen that way. Detective Kogel checks in with the CMPD crime lab multiple times, according to Captain Peacock, to make sure the profile of the man Linda says is Mr. X is in CODIS. Detective Kogel is told he's in there. So what had happened is throughout the process, Detective Kogel had checked not once, not twice, but I believe a third time to ensure that this guy was in CODIS. Because obviously if we have a, a, a unknown suspect profile that we believe is him and it's been uploaded into CODIS, we should get a hit against any offender that matches against it. And that wasn't happening. So that's why Kogel and Banner tell Linda in June of 2017 at the police station that the guy she identified is not Mr. X. Again, here's Peacock. So that's what happened is when this unknown sample in this kit hits on this guy, then the state is notified to take a look at it and review it for accuracy. Mm -hmm. At that time, they determined his sample was ineligible and needed to be pulled out. There are very specific rules about what DNA samples are eligible to be in CODIS. What Peacock is saying here is that somehow this profile got inputted into CODIS, but it never should have been. So the state lab notified the CMPD lab, Peacock says. 
that the DNA profile was ineligible and needed to be pulled out. They send our lab a letter to that effect, which goes into a file. And it wasn't until Detective Kogel asked again about the status that they, they researched and found the letter and realized he's not in CODIS. Okay. Does that make sense? Not to Linda and honestly, not really to us, because here's the thing. We reached out to the state lab about the letter it sent to the CMPD lab. They would not let us see the letter because information about these DNA profiles are confidential. But a spokeswoman says that it sent the CMPD lab an email on March 27, 2017. Peacock says that's when CMPD was notified the DNA hit on Linda's kit was ineligible. But remember, Kogel wasn't given that information. So therefore, the state lab couldn't tell CMPD the name of the hit. Peacock says that notification went into a file and never got to Kogel. So when Kogel tells Linda three months later that there's no hit on the DNA profile from her sexual assault kit, it's because she didn't know about this email from the state lab. So we asked CMPD if anything would change to ensure something like this would not happen again. Peacock responded by saying the CMPD lab updated its policy. So now if something were to happen like it did in Linda's case, where there's been a hit but the lab can't say who it is, unless there is a court order, the detective will get an email notification. That wasn't written into the lab's policy before, which is why Kogel didn't get a heads up. So when Kogel said this in June 2017, we have DNA, it's somebody's, we're just waiting to find out who it is. That was partly true. They did have someone's DNA, but they already had a clue that something wasn't right. More is coming up. I'm Sarah Delia. I'm Alex Olgan. This is She Says. Hey, She Says listeners, last week we asked you to share your stories about being sexually assaulted and if you felt like the police believed your account of events. We heard from so many of you. Here's one story that really stuck with us. My domestic violence advocate told me that even if I'm not ready to press charges against my husband for the physical and sexual abuse, that I should file reports with the police so that the documentation is there. So I called the police in an emergency member to file a report, but I didn't realize that since rape is a felony, I would have to press charges or not file a report at all. They transferred me to 911 and the officer said, you're telling me you were raped by your husband and it was a week ago? Why are you crying? Thanks to that listener and all the others who called in from all over. Stick around to the very end of this episode to hear more from your fellow She Says listeners. You can also hear their responses online at wfae.org slash she says. Now for this week's question. If you are a sexual assault survivor, how do you feel like the communication was between you and your detective? Please keep your answers to 45 seconds or under. To leave us a voicemail, call 704-448-6511. You don't have to leave your name, but if you do leave us a voicemail, Please know your voice may be part of something featured on our website, on another episode, or possibly the radio. Your deadline is end of day, Tuesday, June 26, 2018. For more information, visit wfae.org slash she says. Support for She Says comes from WFAE members and Contemplative Rebellion, a peace and justice jewelry shop offering handmade socially conscious jewelry supporting various charitable organizations, such as Women for Women International, on the web at contemplativerebellion.com. If you're looking for another podcast, check out one of our favorites, Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX. 
Host Al Letson and reporters spend months, sometimes years, digging to get the truth. Like when Reveal took us back to Hurricane Harvey and how thousands of families ended up buying homes that were literally inside a Houston reservoir. Reveal reporters went to local officials, documents in hand, and asked how these building permits ever got approved. You can find Reveal on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find podcasts. Learn more at revealnews.org. We're going to talk about what we know Detective Kogel tried to do when she found out about this mysterious CODIS hit. In August 2017, Detective Kogel tells Linda she's going to attempt to have a judge force the lab to reveal the identity of this mystery hit. But that doesn't work. In a memo to the detective, the judge says, according to the law, the state lab decides the eligibility of samples in CODIS. If the sample is in there correctly, a court order isn't necessary. This means that nothing happens. We're going to go back to that November 2017 conversation Linda has with Kogel. It's the same one we referenced earlier in this episode. Linda wanted an update on her case, so she goes to CMPD headquarters. This time, Linda meets only with Kogel. She starts by trying to explain to Linda how this mystery hit happened. There was a hit. It matched somebody in your kit. Whatever the DNA that was sent from your kit was sent to the lab, there was a hit on that. Okay. But that person's DNA should not have, have been, been in the system. Okay. I don't know how it was obtained. I don't think it was, ta- it wasn't obtained illegally. It just wasn't supposed to be in the system Got legally it. because it wasn't a violent okay. crime for which that person okay. was in. Right. So, but I can't assume that it's him. I'm, okay. I'm putting two and three and four together and I'm like, yeah. oh, it has to be him because I knew his DNA was already in the system. Earlier in this conversation, Detective Kogel says, I'm assuming it's him. But then, as you just heard, says, I can't assume it's him. I'm putting two and three and four together, and it has to be him because I knew his DNA was already in the system. Kogel tells Linda something else that's significant in this November 2017 conversation at CMPD. First, you'll hear Linda. I feel strongly that it's him. (laughs) If it's not, then... We're done. We'll clarify what we're done means in a minute. First, Linda and I caught up shortly after her meeting with Kogel. And remember, this November 2017 conversation was the first face-to-face they had since she was told it wasn't the person she identified. And I mean, here's the thing. It's him. I know it. I know it. I mean, there's no question about it. It is him. I mean, period. So, you know, if it comes back, let's say that, you know, she gets the court order or, or whatever. If something comes back and it's not him, then I'm, I'm sorry. So if something is, something's not right at all. Mm-hmm. At all. I mean, I have no doubt whatsoever. Linda has all these questions and she calls the detective repeatedly to ask for updates. But she sometimes worries she's walking a fine line between keeping her case alive and not ticking off the detective. I don't feel a sense of urgency whatsoever. But yet there's a fear of asking too many questions. Um, You're afraid of asking. I'm afraid of asking. I don't want to upset someone or, um, you know, there's been a couple of times where uh, the detective felt like, you know, like, either myself or my husband were questioning her ability to do her job. In fact, we were just asking 
questions that we didn't know an answer to. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's gotten defensive a couple of times, and it wasn't, you know, it, it, I don't, I don't want to upset her because I don't, and it, it shouldn't be this way, and I hope it's not. But you know, I'm I'm afraid if I ask something that would be upsetting to her, that that might affect. You know, I hate to think that I don't want that to be the case, but but I'm just speaking to how I feel. I'm afraid to push it. And when Kogel says if it's not him, then we're done, Linda doesn't know what that means. So she asks for clarification in a December 2017 phone call with the detective. Kogel says by we're done, she meant Linda's case would become a cold case. We know this because at this point, Linda is recording every single phone call or in-person sit-down with the detective unbeknownst to Kogel. Her case going cold is Linda's worst fear. A case going cold means all leads have dried up. That's different than when a case is closed. A case is considered closed if the victim asks the detective to stop working it, the case is declared unfounded, or an arrest is made. So at this point, it's mid-December 2017. Kogel was able to obtain another court order called a non-testimonial order, which basically would make the man Linda says is Mr. X submit a DNA sample on the spot. But Kogel is never able to serve this order in person, and she says it's no longer an option. So she tells Linda she's going to try and do what she did before. She's going to ask a judge for a court order that would make the lab reveal the identity of this mystery hit. Linda and I spoke after she got this update from Kogel. And again, I'm paraphrasing that they'll sign the court order. And at that point, I asked her, you know, is there anything I can do to help regarding this court order? Because I guess I feel a little bit like, you know, where there's been so many inconsistencies throughout this that it's like I want to be like, hey, are you sure you have the right information in this court order? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I don't know what's being presented. And, you know, it needs to be just right. Remember, in episode two, we talked about Kogel going to collect a potentially really important piece of evidence for Linda's case. But she's delayed in doing so because she gets pulled into another case. That they're busy and that she had no idea when she would be getting to my case and to, to get the court order. That court order is Kogel's second attempt to try and get the lab to reveal who the mystery hit is. So basically, to help Linda's case move forward, Kogel either needs the lab to reveal who the mystery hit is or obtain a DNA sample from the man Linda has identified to rule him out or confirm him as a suspect. We want to point out that CMPD did make an attempt to get a DNA sample from him. The first time is in fall of 2015, when officers went out to his house and asked him to provide a voluntary sample. He declined. Kogel tells Linda in an August 2017 email she goes to his Charlotte address again, but he's no longer living there. Then, in the fall, Kogel gets a non-testimonial court order that would compel him to provide his DNA. But remember, she isn't able to serve the order in person, and nothing comes of it. At one point during the investigation, Linda says she's told that her case was a priority and had been pushed up. We've been going back through email exchanges between Linda and Kogel, and there are a couple things I want to point out to you. On Monday, October 10th, 2016, Linda emailed Kogel. Linda asked Detective Kogel why she can't try and get a court order for DNA from the person Linda identified. Kogel's response is sent the next day, October 11th, 2016. She writes, We do not have enough probable cause to get a court order. You identifying him online is not enough. 
We don't need it because his DNA is already in the system. I have asked to move your case to the top of the list and make it a priority. I will let you know when there is a hit. Please be patient. Kogel tells her identifying him online isn't enough probable cause, but then nine months later in July 2017, when the mystery hit comes back, Kogel appears to start counting on Linda's internet search. Police later acknowledge in this case, the victim's search was key. Kogel won't get that court order to make the state lab reveal the identity of the DNA hit before the end of 2017. And come January 2018, she has a new plan. She's going to get a search warrant for the man Linda identified. That will allow Kogel to collect a buckle from him. In civilian terms, that's a cheek swab. She tells Linda she has plans to get the swab as soon as possible. But almost a month goes by and Kogel still hasn't done it. So on February 13th, 2018, Linda calls Kogel for an update. Has she gotten the search warrants? If so, when will she be able to get the swab? Linda ends up breaking down on the phone. You know, I'm not doing too well. And, um, um, <laughs> I'm just really tired with all of this. And I know. I just don't really understand. There's several things that hang over my head. Linda goes over the aspects of the case that still bother her. Who is this mystery hit? What about the other male profile that was found in her kit? Why doesn't she show up on the camera footage of the gas station Kogel says she reviewed? Do some of these parts that she just doesn't have any answers for make her unreliable in the eyes of the detective? One of the biggest things with all of this is feeling like you're believed. And then when yeah, stuff I've like that- I've never not believed you. <sighs> Well, you know, when we well, find that you feel that way, but I know that has never, you know, I have totally have been working hard on this case for you. And I know that it sucks that it, it's all about time. And I'm sorry about that, but there's just not, I don't have any control over that. The conversation ends with no definitive plans on when the detective will get the swab. But she says for Linda, not to stress about it. The next day, Valentine's Day, 2018, I called CMPD and told them we had been following a sexual assault survivor's case and that she had been recording Detective Kogel, and we had some questions. Two days later, Kogel leaves Linda a voicemail. Just calling to let you know that um, I'm going to go to court on Monday to get the buckle. Um, I've got that all um, planned out with um, Cleveland County, so we're all set. The man Linda identified in her internet search was due in court in Cleveland County, about an hour west of Charlotte, for charges unrelated to Linda's case. So I went to court that day. I didn't see the detective get the evidence, but when I got back to Charlotte, Linda said the detective called her. She got the cheek swab. Did he act? I mean, how'd he act and stuff? He just surprised. Really? Like, I remember them coming to talk to me, but like I don't remember anything about this. And I was like, okay. What? Oh, I, have, I have a search warrant. So just, wow. You know, so, oh my gosh. Okay. That was good. It well, was better than him fighting. So. Right, right. You know. Well, so. here we go. Next time on She Says. How are you feeling mm -hmm. right now? Um, so I, like, it's kind of surreal. That had been one of my family members who had, um, who had been sexually assaulted or raped. I would have expected someone to apologize for that mistake. 
The situation is so unfortunate. I have never seen this happen before in my time in, in investigations. Half of my career is in investigations, and I've never seen this situation. She Says is written, produced, and reported by me, Sarah D'Elia. Our editor is Greg Collard. Joni Deutsch is our producer. Alex Olgan is our reporter, and she co-wrote this episode. Music is by Pachyderm Music Lab. Keep the conversation going on Twitter using the hashtag WFAE She Says. You can tweet at me directly at Sarah WFAE, and that's Sarah with an H. If you want next week's episode in your feed as soon as it comes out, make sure to subscribe to She Says on NPR One, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. You can find out more information about the podcast at WFAE.org slash She Says. Thanks for listening. I was 18 years old starting college when I was raped twice in a four-month span by two completely different men. When I finally gained the courage to tell the people I loved and respected the most, including my mom, they either did not fully believe my account or assured me that they did, but... They were positive that a jury, and more importantly, the police never would. Um, So those initial responses are a huge part of the reason why I am still too scared to report, which is a decision that haunts me years later every single day.